Welcome back to CityCast. This episode is part two of our interview with the Executive Director of the Bay Area Restoration Council, Chris McLaughlin. In part one, Chris talked about the problem of data subjectivity and how to handle stormwater more effectively. He also provided further insight into the Chidoke Creek spill and its aftermath. This episode is a continuation of the conversation and focuses on the importance of community engagement in creating positive change in the community. As always, be sure to check us out on our social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at CityLabSIR, to stay up to date on all things related to the semester in residence. And now, let's dive into the interview. What do you think are some strategies that the city of Hamilton can undertake to um, prevent something like Shadow Creek spill from happening again, or to improve water quality through perhaps like um, I know some cities are doing a flat fee for residential buildings and also commercial buildings based on how yeah. much concrete that they have. And so if they have more concrete, they pay more, and this money goes towards stormwater treatment and improving facilities. So some municipalities actually have a rebate that you can demonstrate where you have reduced the stormwater coming off your property because maybe you've disconnected the downspout, so all the water from your roof is going out into your yard, into a rain garden, rather than down into the sewer. So last I checked, this was years ago, the Kitchener-Waterloo had a program, I think it was the city of Kitchener, had a program that you could show them that you reduced the water by a certain percentage, and so you had a rebate in your tax bill, on your water bill, that sort of thing. So there's, there's two answers. Um, the, okay. The easy answer, I'm going to make this super quick. The easy answer is figure out how to do, deal with stormwater where, where it falls. Don't okay. build a massive citywide system of pipes and everything to try and deliver it to a few specific places. If it falls on your yard, try to deal with it there. If it falls on your driveway, try to deal with it there. So that means green infrastructure, things like rain gardens. It means low impact development like permeable pavement where the water can soak in rather than flow off your driveway. Mm-hmm. So it means things like that. But I mean, that's the green infrastructure, um, low impact development, go. So I, yeah, so those are, those are some initiatives that we've also looked into in some other cities, but what, what is preventing it from happening in Hamilton? Everything is about money. So how Don't do let we... anybody tell you it's not. <laughs> the other thing too, though, if you listen to it, you will see, you know, ask yourself, what is, where are each of these people coming from? You listen to Councillor Wilson, for example, uh, when you listen to Councillor Nan, when you listen to Councillor Danko versus Councillor Ferguson or Councillor Clark or Councillor Partridge, for example. And then if you hear the discussion in 2011, when they turned down a stormwater rate, Councillor Clark in 2011, unfortunately referred to it as rain as a rain tax, which is really, you know, uh, from a PR messaging standpoint, that's brilliant, like, way to go, rain tax, because that really grabs people, right? You know, even the, even what, you know, whether you want to split hairs, whether it's a tax, whether it's a fee, whether it's a rate, you know, these are all just financial tools designed to raise enough money to do the stuff to deal with water where it falls, because we, we don't, we don't spend enough on that now. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. It's as simple as that. And you'll hear that debate and then people want to figure out how to do the most with the least, which is totally understandable also. Mm-hmm. But I think people are coming at it from a whole bunch. Ask yourself, 
Which constituency are they speaking on behalf of? What is the background of each of these councillors, right? Councillor Ferguson was in uh, construction for 30 years. And I'm not saying that that is driving each of their opinions necessarily, but it's informing, right? All of these different things inform the perspective of each person and then therefore informs whether or not they're more or, like, more or less likely to support something based on the thing that you think is really important, right? Oh my gosh, this is like a slam dunk. They need to do this. No, I don't think that that's as important as doing these other things over here or doing even fewer things and taking less money from people, which is you know, how I got elected to this job. Those, those are all factor into it, right? Motives, motives and perspective. So a big problem is not everybody being on the same page because they have different, different backgrounds and different opinions. And so how do you overcome that? How do you get people to counselors particularly to be on your side? And I guess a big part of that is community engagement, which I know the uh, BARC does a lot of to get public support. Um, to I'm going to give you an example really quick. Um, yes, you need to find people who will champion the thing that you want to do in the area, in the, in the realm, in the social realm that you want, right? Uh, very quickly, counselors make in all caps, I'm going to say this in all caps, a very big deal out of the number of calls to their office. Many people measure uh, the importance of something that way. It's like, how often do people call over the manager in the restaurant to say how wonderful everything is and the service has been great? No, it's only to complain about stuff 99 times out of 100. So who's calling the office, right? My garbage didn't get picked up. There's a bad smell in the water. My kid's school bus, yada, 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 right? Um, no one calls almost never to say, you know, I really, I heard about this green infrastructure thing and I heard this guy talk on Tuesday at the university and I think this is just the cat's pajamas, right? This is what we need to do, absolutely. And you need to take more of my tax money in order to do this because you made it sound so important. So you need to find champions in the neighborhoods and in the social organizations and so forth that are going to provide that voice. You can't be, I can't be the only one. If I'm the only one, it's not gonna happen because people get sick of listening. Um, I was the example I was gonna give you is that this year, the, um, the last two years we've had a, we've had grants to establish some new citizen science water quality monitoring and so the first program was a high school program for grade 11 and 12 science where the, the, the kids in groups take these little water chemistry measuring kits and they go out they get engaged right with with a water course upstream and then we take them the next week downstream and we just compare measurements and then we kind of walk the walk along and figure out like oh, there could be storm drains that are causing you know phosphorus to be higher or something like that so those are pretty straightforward and this year of course because we weren't in classrooms we just started fa inviting families to come down after stage three opened up when we could meet people outside and we had protocols covid protocols of course but we just started inviting inviting people to come down and just take these kits for a couple hours and just go out. And uh, we found a national program where the, we could send those data. And so beca because people really wanted to know what they were contributing to, mm -hmm. that was really important. No matter how much, how little biology background they had, they wanted to know that their effort was gonna have meaning in some way, more than just the education. The education part, you know, just getting people to come down and touch the water in Hamilton is a big deal. 
So that's important. But there's another element of that program. We have a youth water leadership program. So this is our community water leaders program. It's for post-secondary, the youth water program, youth leadership programs for high school students. The community leadership program is for sort of 18 to 25. So post-secondary students or grads. So right now we have, for example, a third year environmental technology pro, um, program student from Mohawk. who's a tremendous asset, a couple other people too. His background just sticks in my mind at the moment. Tremendous asset, right? He's very capable of collecting reliable data out in the environment and then contributing to something. So now we're trying to find a way to have this program contribute data along with the government and other agencies, researchers from McMaster, for example, contribute to the overall remedial action plan and measuring progress towards that. We're not able to do that with our come down with your family and just poke around and so forth on the shoreline. That is vitally important too, but for a different reason. So you can see that, you know, with these, we use different kits because we need slightly different equipment for both programs. But the gist is we give people a, a little bag of water quality monitoring stuff, equipment, and off they go into the environment and they're taking measurements of stuff. And one is directed towards one objective and one is directed towards another. And so I'm trying to show you that, you know, you, you might do something like go out and start asking people questions, for example, but you might differ the kinds of questions that you ask some people versus others. And you might think that they, in the end, they have a different kind of usefulness. And so we're, we're doing this citizen science program, but it's designed to do different things and to provide different experiences. Most families don't want to come down every Sunday afternoon for 10 weeks in a row. Once is probably enough, but the, the, the post-secondary students and grads community water leaders, those people are committing to ten, to making a 10-week commitment to sampling the same place and doing it under different conditions and collecting a lot of data. And also they're committing to uh, helping us to train the community volunteers um, to lead some of those sessions. So they're making a really substantive commitment compared to the others as well. So it's really just thinking carefully about how to be strategic, not only in what you do, but also what you can offer people, at the very least, when you talk to people, offer to share your conclusions with them in the end. Follow up, close that loop to let them know. Right? This is often, I think, uh, a criticism in the community of researchers from the, from the university who treat their fellow citizens you know, somewhat like specimens rather than fellow citizens, right? It can be, you can get lost in the research and forget about the actual people. I've heard this many times over many years, right? As the community has, as the university has grown its community engagement strategy and, and outlook, right? There, yeah. there was a time, um, I remember the time before that, that whole program of community engagement even existed. And people on campus I know were really floundering with how to improve that. So it's a tremendous achievement, the university that they actually have this now and uh, the thing that Dave runs, right, and other people are working on, that's a tremendous achievement, but it's a very much a work in progress, right? So I'm, you know, uh, Dave and I have, go back many years now, working on stuff together because it's a value to us and to engage and it's value to, to him and his program and all the courses that you're working on. Yeah, I definitely think that 
all the manpower is there. You just have to engage people. And that's, that's, that's very, being very, really careful, right? Treating people with respect and then also being very strategic mm -hmm. about what we do. So in regards to strategy, we had another question. So you talked a lot about creating champions, but how do you, and, and through this cultural shift, starting with the younger generation as well, but how do you engage with people who don't see eye to eye with you? Or how do you get them onto your side? What are some strategies that you use? Or is it not a focus of your work at the moment? Well, it, it, I mean, it depends, right? It, 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 there's a whole series of questions that you would ask. So I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. So about four years ago, I was asked to go out to Thunder Bay by the RAP, uh, the, the Remedial Action Plan coordinator there. But they had contaminated sediment in the harbor, just like we have contaminated sediment in the harbor. A different issue. Uh, there, it's mercury. Here, it's PAHs, heavy metals and stuff. But in the same sense, they had uh, federal government people. They had university people. They had the Port Authority there, just like we have a Port Authority here. And uh, they were getting very little, they were making very little progress. So they asked me to come out there and give a talk in the evening to their public advisory committee, which is a whole bunch of agencies and people from the public and whatnot. And that they were not having luck with forming this conversation between people. So before I went, I did a bunch of homework here. And the current mayor of Hamilton used to be a federal politician, ran for office. And you have to look at his track record. I can't remember exactly what terms he served. But the point being, he was at one time an elected official here, city councilor. He also served as the chair of the board of the Port Authority. And he had a, he had a working knowledge of local water conditions and a concern that the Port Authority be a very active partner in the remedial action plan here. Another thing happened about 20, at least 20 years ago, that the Port Authority hosted people working on the first fish and wildlife habitat restoration projects in Hamilton Harbor. This is at least 20 years ago. And so the Port Authority gave some office space and resources like telephone and photocopier and stuff to these people. And so over the course of the first few years of the wrap, the fish and wildlife restoration people hung around, literally hung around the water cooler with people from the Port Authority. And fish habitat is not in the mandate of the Port Authority, not even a hundred miles within it has to be something that they see as important, and they do in Hamilton. And as part of their part of their um, their strategic plan is community engagement and being an active part of the RAP. And so I told these stories and some other stuff to the people in Thunder Bay. And uh, it's not that you know somehow they can go back 20 years and make sure that certain people are eating lunch together with each other all the time, and therefore really significantly learning from each other. Um, but they needed to start. Like they need to start the next day. And, um, and it was good going when I, after I got home, kind of useful actually, which is a nice feeling uh, because they were actually, some of these things were starting to happen. And over the course of weeks and months, for example, I said, you know, literally some people have to go out and have coffee with some other people and don't talk about water. Don't talk about mercury. Ask each other about your kids. Do that for half an hour and then meet again the next week, right? So there may be ways to find common ground, right? And, 
And it may be that you value something for different reasons, but you have some common ground. And if you can find that, then that's wonderful. Um, maybe there are strategies that you can use to get at people. Like, for example, maybe coming to listen to me talk for an hour on a Tuesday evening is not that compelling. But when you have, when you can get that same person standing outside of a public school where we've been doing our Stream of Dreams program, that's like the martyr school across the street from McMaster on Main Street. They have that, all those hundreds of fish on their fence. So that's the pro, that's a program that we run. A whole week, we're at a school where everybody from K to eight paints fish, and then they go on the wall. Friday afternoon at three o'clock when the bell rings, there is no better place to be than standing at that fence when all the little guys come running out to meet their parents or whoever is waiting for them. And then they're all frantically trying to find their fish, very excitedly trying to find their fish on the fence. That is awesome. That is like the best, right? So it may be that that is a more compelling narrative around fish and wildlife and water quality than listening to some geek like me talk about stuff, show pictures and listen to me speech, right? So it's really finding a way to angle, to come at that, right? It's, it, it's storytelling. It is our human nature and it's very basic, right? Figuring out how to tell stories that compel someone to care about what you do, right? Never mind giving money. Just pay attention. If I ask a question about something pertaining to flood resilience. Okay, so in Calgary, they have a riparian action program that's part of their flood resilience program. And I know Bark does a, a bunch of stuff on maintaining wetland ecosystems. So Calgary is doing something called the fish compensation program. So in 2013, they had a flood and for all the fish that died, they're reintroducing fish to the habitat. They also have a target of having like a riparian health score of 72% by 2026. I was wondering if Hamilton has any targets like that um, and what it can do to restore what, what it's doing and what it can do to prevent flooding in terms of rehabilitating wetlands. So we do have targets. The remedial action plan has targets. Mm-hmm. And so if you go to our site, hamiltonharbor.ca, you'll find under resources, resources tab, you'll find our 2017 report card Mm -hmm. and you will find remedial action plan office released, updated. It's like a two or four page fact sheets, they're called. So Mm -hmm. the 2020 fact sheets or whatever, you find those those there too. You know, you first said that, you know, it's like, uh, okay, so they're going to reintroduce fish. Well, that's great. But what are they reintroducing them into and why are they spending money on more fish? if they're going back into crappy water. But if they're also addressing the actual habitat quality too, it wouldn't make any sense that they would yeah. not do that. And they're yeah. developing some sort of metric. So we have the we have the remedial action plan. The city of Hamilton should be able to talk to you also about our future Hamilton, which mm-hmm. is a municipal initiative, just because we talked about it earlier, about trying to add value to granting agencies, right? The relationship between the two. The city has this strategic plan, Our Future Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm asking the city to provide us with money to do things, my job is to explicitly explain how the things that we are going to do with their money help them achieve their strategic objectives in Our Future Hamilton. I literally say, this will help achieve that. What we do, that's what you want. Give us the money, we'll help you. That's literally the argument that's required. So so there's that. I think we talked about warm water and whatnot quite a bit already, but the habitat thing, um, first of all, cleaner water upstream, 
It's the only way that you ensure that you can increase habitat in the marsh, which is downstream. Coots Paradise is downstream of Spencer, Chideau Creek, a number of other creeks as well, Ancaster Creek. All of those are degraded to some degree in across time, across years, and then you know from the outfall from the Dundas Wastewater Treatment Plant, all the surface water that rushes into them, and the loss of habitat. There's other stuff too that's overwhelming, like high water levels and things that are not Hamilton Harbor specific, but um, but the water quality, improving water quality upstream, the water that's going into the marsh is the only way that you're really gonna make uh, advances in, in getting the, uh, the, the plantings that we do each year with our volunteers. We're gonna get them to stay and to thrive. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you soon with a new episode of CityCast.